Well, welcome, welcome to another Discover Headless Tech interview from headlesscreator.com. I am Marcelo Lewin, the Headless Creator. As always, you can get a hold of me right there, Marcelo at headlesscreator.com. For those of you listening on the audio podcast, right there is just, I'm pointing to my email. That's all I'm doing. So send me an email, Marcelo at headlesscreator.com, and I'll get back to you um, as soon as possible. Today, we're going to have a really cool conversation uh, with a guest that I had uh, years ago, actually, in another podcast. His name is Larry Swanson. He's uh, a full stack content architect, and we're going to um, find out exactly what that means. He also has a cool podcast, which he's going to tell us about, all about content strategy. But um, today, the topic of conversation is about migrating from a legacy CMS to a headless CMS. It really isn't a question anymore is should we, is we will. We have to because of the way things are going. We have too many delivery channels, too much content out there, and we got to do that. Now, the question is, how do you do that? What what are things you need to know before you uh, you do that? Now, if you're in the progress of doing that, this is this episode is still going to be helpful to you because we're going to have a lot of tips uh, and and ideas to talk through with Larry. Um, but as always, um, for those of you that don't have an account with uh, headlesscreator.com, go ahead and get one. Uh, for those of you on audio, just go to headlesscreator.com, register to your free account. For those of you watching on video right now, you see uh, the website right now on the screen. Uh, once you register and you get your free account at headlesscreator.com, you're going to have access not only to all the episodes of this podcast, but all the tutorials in the Discover Headless Tech uh, course as well, plus all of my other courses, which include... Um, the, uh, um, as you can see right here, includes focus on courses on a variety of headless CMSs, my content modeling course as well, in a, in a variety of, uh, here's the content modeling weekly where I model stuff all the time. All of you know, I'm a huge content modeling geek. I love content modeling. So anyway, anyway, um, I know I'm speeding through this because I want to get to Larry real quick because he's he's a great guy to talk to. Uh, so that's it. Uh, remember to get your account at headlesscreator.com and the on-demand version will be available there probably an hour after we're done having the conversation with uh, Larry. So with that said, I'm just going to bring him in. Larry, welcome. Hey, Marcelo. It's always great to see you. Great to see you too. So we're going to start by giving uh, those watching a little warning that um, you're, you're having a couple of issues with your uh, internet over there. So sometimes um, Larry's turning into Max Headroom. Those of you remembering the 80s, if you got the stuttering Larry, you know what I'm talking about. Um, not quite that old. Well, uh, yeah. well, uh, come on. I, I'm not that old either, but I still. Yeah, no, I do remember Max Headroom. I do remember Max Headroom in the 80s. But uh, you do freeze once in a while that you're having some internet. But the, the lucky part is all your audio is good. So I just want to give people uh, a heads up on that, that that's what's happening. Having said that, welcome, sir. Great to be here. Uh, always fun to talk with you, Marcella. Definitely. Same here. Um, so, you know, you invited me on your podcast. And it's real quick. You have a, um, a podcast called? It's called Content Strategy Insights. And I started it almost four years ago now. Um, and I'll talk, I can, I can talk a little bit about that. It was part of my transition from identifying as a publisher to identifying as a content strategist. It's, that's something that had been in the works for a long time. I just kind of formalized it and, um, and then kind of codified it with the podcast. Yeah, and the nice thing about you is not only are you a strategist, but you're also a creator, a content creator. So 
obviously with the hands-on experience that you have it you know you're really good at that strategy you understand what content creators go through so yeah i've definitely been all the way up and down <clears throat> and through yeah the creation the management the just the whole the whole stack yep yep definitely so speaking of stack you call yourself a full stack content architect explain uh what you mean by that yeah, so it goes back, the stack comes from, uh, if you know Jesse James Garrett, uh, he was one of the pioneers of the field of user experience design. He created this brilliant model years ago, about God, more than 20 years ago now, I think, where he articulated the practice of user experience design as having these five layers. The, the foundational layer is strategy, uh, and the next, and which is like that sort of aligning uh, business intent and, and customer needs and figuring out what to do and planning for your content. That's what that's, and so I, I link content strategy to the strategy layer in, in uh, Jesse James Garrett's model. Uh, his next level up is called scope, which is concerned with sort of the, the uh, used to be like specking out what you were gonna do, the, the, you know, which exact content, which exact features, what, what you wanted to do with your digital application. I, I liken that to content modeling where you sort of set the, the scope that you want to cover in your uh, content initiative, you know, whatever scale it is. Um, and then sort of, and I think the the really important thing there is part of that scope is the meaning and the, um, we'll talk more about this later, I'm sure, about what, what Jeff Eaton would call the cap title case content modeling, uh, aligning people around language and stuff like that. So it's right. sort of real fundamental work, kind of a level up from strategy, but not quite up to the next level, which is information architecture, which is, I think what a lot of folks in this world are going to be concerned with is sort of the, the actual structure of the content. That's where you figure out, you know, how you'll componentize or, or, or structure right. or, or your, your content and, and how you'll organize it, label it, you know, for easy retrieval later on. That, and that corresponds to what, uh, what Jesse James Garrett calls the, uh, the structure layer. The next level up from that is what he calls the skeleton. Uh, and that really aligns with what part of what, depending on how you define it, but we can talk about all these, the problems with labeling content activities. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but that's the level at which you sort of assemble things in, in, in like app and digital, other digital product design, that, that level of the skeleton level is concerned with, um, a, you know, with, with kind of interaction design and kind of putting things together to get them ready for presentation, which takes us up to the next level, which is the surface layer, uh, which is like the, U, the user interface, the, the, the design of the pages. Uh, and in, the, in, the, in terms of the content world, it's that, that level would correspond with this new practice of UX writing. It's not really a U, new practice. We've been writing user interface copy and onboarding copy and all that stuff for decades uh but it's recently been kind of codified as this field of of ux writing so when i say full stack you know i either call myself a full stack content designer or a content i think of a content architect as like the you know that i'm comfortable at any place in those layers i focus yeah. on the foundational layers now which is i think why you had me on the podcast <laughs> on your on your show well i had you on the podcast because i like you but but beyond that of course um but i think the, your breakdown is great because when you're migrating from a legacy to a headless cms you need to have those clear breaks and understand and how to work through each of those layers because with a legacy cms everything it was jumbled up right everything was mixed up together there was no separation like that and we're going to get into all of that um so why don't we start out with um 
some some examples of a legacy CMS so people understand what we're talking about. Give us some examples of what are some legacy CMSs. Well, that's a long list, and there's a whole bunch of like. Let's narrow it down to maybe three. Yeah. Well, no, and I'll talk. Let me talk about it a little bit because each of these categories, I think, has slightly. But anyhow, the, I, I divide it. There's sort of like for like small businesses, restaurants, and you know, independent consultants and people like that. There's the page builder categories, things like Wix and Squarespace, and I would put WordPress.com, the hosted right. version of WordPress, in, in that category. Then there's sort of like the big world of open source, uh, Drupal and the WordPress.org installations, and uh, Joomla is still around, and you know, uh, uh, open source systems like that. Then there's proprietary systems. Many of those um, you know, are, are, are like kind of no code, low code, like content. Uh, I'm, I'm too content. Uh, Webflow um, is in that category. Then there's like the enterprise systems, like Adobe Experience Manager, Sitecore. You know the big heavy-duty um, applications. Then there's more focused ones, like product CMSs. Like it, 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 some people might not call it this, but, but products like Shopify or Magento or, or WooCommerce, um, are, there's a lot of content associated with those product management systems. And then the Marcom stack, you know, there's this gazillions of things, like everything from like gather content to um, uh, HubSpot stuff. So there's, there's a whole bunch of dedicate you know these are applications that are dedicated to serving a particular niche or audience uh and they're sort of like what you to what you're saying these they're the kind of the big monolithic um uh systems where they do all of the content stuff and and we can talk about how that breaks down like what all they do and how that changes in a headless world i guess that's what we're talking about for completely yeah and i'm glad you said page centric because most of them are page centric in other words their focus is the web Right. But today we have more than the web and, and we're going to get into omni-channel delivery, multi-channel delivery in just a second. But OK, so those are some examples of legacy, right, quote unquote, uh, CMSs. Uh, what are some examples of uh, headless CMSs? You kind of mentioned by mistake in the legacy Contentful, <laughs> exactly. right? So Contentful is one of the big ones. What else do we have out there that people yeah, should be aware of? Yeah, again, there's sort of categories there, you know, that I would say of headless. One category would be those, a lot of those old legacy systems are decoupling and mm-hmm. teasing out the content management part. Like Drupal's really good at that. I know Sitecore, like all of them are doing. I think WordPress is trying to do that too. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they had the RESTful API years ago and they're doing more. Anyhow, everybody's kind of coming along that way to, um, to decoupling. They, they, see, they get what you said earlier, that this is the future. This is just how we're going to be doing it. So that's the first thing you'll see is the, the old legacy systems uh, kind of trying to pull out the, C, the CMS as a, simple, as a um, separate thing. Uh, the simplest CMS is like a bunch of markdown files in a folder someplace mm-hmm. that you then serve up from a, from a static site generator. That's super common uh, with a, for a lot of like special tech, technical documentation or, or kind of publishing applications where you're mainly concerned with pages. That, that system falls down pretty quickly if you want to do anything fancy, right. but, but it's very common. Um, and then there's sort of like open source... You know, there's like um, uh, open source platforms like um, uh, Strappy and Ghost, and and there's there's a category like that. And then there's like uh, then there's the the to what you were saying, like there's Contentful and Kentico Content, and uh, all of the uh, the commercial. um, Typically, I think they're virtually all SaaS app hosted uh, kinds of services. and then there's what I think, I don't know where to put sanity.io in that thing. They're sort of like, they're more like a content platform. They're more like a, a 
database. They're like a content data platform. Anyhow, they, but they but a lot of people just use them as a headless CMS. So I would put them in in that category as well. And then there's the whole other part of the headless in addition to the headless CMS, like what you're working with on the front end, and maybe we'll talk about this separately, is like this whole new category of static site generators, tools like Gatsby and Jekyll and Eleven D and uh, Next.js, Next.js, all kinds of different React frameworks uh, to assemble things on the front end. So that's sort of like all those things I just described, if you kind of mush them up in certain ways, you get some one of those old legacy CMSs. Yeah, definitely. So I'm glad you mentioned um, like Gatsby and Eleventeen, all this because this is this goes towards my next question: is what do we mean by headless? Right? Explain. When I first got into this, and they told me, "Hey, we got to bring in a headless CMS," I'm like, "Okay, this sounds illegal for some reason. I, I don't know." <laughs> so what? What? Obviously, I know what it means now, right? But for the audience that are looking to move, what? What do we mean by headless? Why is that so important and critical to this whole new way of doing things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the head that you're decapitating <laughs> your, <laughs> your content management, your big, you know, big, I guess I would say there's sort of a capital C content management system, like in the true sense of a system, like there's this new ecosystem that's emerging where we're um, so, but these were all embedded in one big giant application in the old legacy system. So you would have, here's the, the main components are your authoring component, like how does stuff get into this data? There's a database of content at the middle of these um, systems and that's where you store everything and it's stored kind of in a nice tidy structured way so that you can do different stuff with it. In the old days, like in the old legacy systems, the authoring was just filling out web forms to fill specific database fields. It's kind of almost a one-to-one correspondence in many cases. Um, that authoring experience is going to change a lot with the, with the headless world. So there's sort of authoring over here, the storage of the content in a in the and that's what a that's the headless CMS part. But the thing that used to be the head of that is the um, the the assembly and display of it for presentation, typically on the web. Virtually all of those legacy CMSs we mentioned are web content management systems. There's even before this, like way back in the 70s and 80s, there was SGML and and big, I used to work, my first career was in uh, college textbook publishing. And even back then, we, we had SGML-based systems that um, uh, stored content independent of its presentation as a book or a study manual or a CD-ROM or whatever we were doing back then. So it's that's not a new idea, but it's but it's new to almost all of us now because all we've ever worked in is these giant monolithic legacy CMSs that integrate all that stuff. So the basic parts are authoring, storage, and distribution. Um, And so the headless means you cut off that distribution head, and then you're just left with the CMS. Got it. Okay. So the, the, the head part is that's where your developers and designers come in and figure out how do we take the, the content that you store there and then deliver it to all our various channels that we may have, whether it's on the web, mobile, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And that is, I mean, everybody knows this now. I mean, we all can see it coming in the implications for content practice of, you know, the IOT, just your refrigerator needs labels for whatever it's telling you on there and your Xbox and your, um, Your there'll still be websites and apps and and voice stuff, Alexa. And, and that, that's a whole other world. um, That's huge on its own, but there's oppor- there's going to be opportunities for headless CMSs to interact with that. Um, I was just talking to a friend who worked at Alexa at Amazon for a long time. And uh, there's, um, uh, a- anyhow, there's, 
there's so many places your content can go now right. and so many needs that your users have that um, headless, you know, and this is the benefit of head. Like, I think the main benefit of headless is you don't just have one head. You now have a hydra of possible heads of like your IOT, your, your game, your game console, your website, your app, your voice assistant. Right. So that's your omni-channel strategy or, or, uh, or, or multi-channel delivery. Um, so that is extremely important. Like you said, that's extremely important in, in, in the headless world. Uh, but how does that affect content at the storage level, right? Because in the old traditional legacy CMSs, you would store a paragraph with the markdown, the, 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 the bold word and, and the color red and a line right and all the design stuff, right? But in a headless world, uh, that means nothing to a mobile app like a, a native mobile app or even to an IoT app, right? So how does that affect content on the back end and the mentality that, that both project managers trying to migrate and authors, how does that affect them in understanding how content is now managed? in a headless CMS versus a traditional CMS. Yeah, and I think the, the the highest level way and the quickest way to think about that is like the difference between WYSIWYG and the modern world, the, the old what you see is what you get model. Because I think that's where, God, every content creator I know grew up in that world that like you were doing layout and design, making design decisions right. as you authored. And now those are really gonna be completely decoupled. I think that's gonna be a huge, um, not it's going to be a challenge, but I think there's going to be so many benefits of it that people will recognize fairly quickly. But there will be growing pains, I can assure you, and there already have been growing pains around that. Um, so, but there's steps being made that way already. You know, for example, the HTML5 spec. Um, so let me back up a little bit from that. The way you store content in that central CMS, that headless thing, um, you mark it up in some way. You indicate this is a, it used to be, this is a paragraph. Um, I don't know that that's, the, I, I, don't, I don't know the HTML5 spec, and, but basically the newest version of the HTML specification from the W3C um, sets out, it's more semantic. It's more about the meaning of what's in that thing. So within a, a section of text, instead of having like bold and italic, you'll have strong and emphasized because a bold thing, you know, it, that, that's, that emphasized thing might emphasize as italics on a web page, but it might, might manifest in a spoken interface as just a different intonation uh, of the voice agent. Right. Um, you know, so, so, it's, so that's, an, that's an implication on both ends of it, both for the author's writing to get out of their head that they're creating any kind of artifact at the end of this, just getting it like meaningful content into that system. Then on the other end, for the designers, it's going to be a matter of figuring out like, oh, I'm not just grabbing HTML out of the CMS. I now have more flexibility. I can grab it's I don't know exactly how <clears throat> Contentful and Kentico and all these other new things are structuring, but I know that there's more flexibility and that they all account for this new need for multi-channel delivery. Uh, and so, but it's also just built, even if you did have it in HTML in your, in your database, the, the, the newest HTML specs give you semantic options that you can do a lot just with that. But I think, again, this comes back to like sanity. That's, that's, they're kind of, they're interesting in that they handle 
they they have this thing they call portable text, which is not a rich text. It's a JSON it, format. Yeah, it's exactly it's, they format it in JSON, which then you're treating your content like any other piece of data or code. It's just text, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, text yeah, yeah, and and the yeah. other headless CMSs also will will store it uh, in in a JSON format, uh, break it down into um, uh, different kinds of nodes, and then you can map them for the web one way, map them for IoT the other way. But you touched upon a very very important concept, which is removing design from content and focusing on the intent of that content. So instead of a of a, a red word which is design, what does that red word mean? The intent of it, it's an important word. So mark it up as important and somewhere display it as red, but in another place display it as blue and IOT, like you said, emphasize it by, by bringing up your volume. So do you find that you said that, that that may be a challenge and I agree with you. I work with a lot of authors, but do you find that authors and, and, and uh, people migrating from legacy are being challenged by separating that design from the content and focusing only on the content. And also how, what are some tips you can give them to, to, to start separating those things? Yeah, that's a, that's the $64,000 question. Yeah. That's, um, <laughs> because it's, and here's, here's some of the things, here are some of the inputs into that problem. One is that most content creators, uh, like there's, they they come from all over the map, you know, like journalism, publishing, uh, ad copywriting, marketing copywriting, um, uh, technical communications. There's all these different places they come from. And up until just a few years ago, and even to this day, most of them have been concerned with like creating an end artifact, like a document or a, a web page or a social media post or whatever it is that they're working on. Um, and so the, the the first thing for them, for authors to do is to, to disarticulate the creation of that thing from its presentation and think about what it, to what you were saying, what it means. And so that means I think authors will need to become more facile about, I think it'll make them better writers. You know, Agreed. if you think about intent, you know, that that's a great, there's so much kind of, I don't want to diss anybody, but there's a lot of kind of conventional, just regurgitated formats that happen all over the place that I think if you really think about what does this mean? What am I trying to accomplish with this little chunk of content that may manifest in different places? That's a new kind of creativity, mm -hmm. but it's, um, so I think authors and the, you know, the people who create content, they're all really smart and creative and they'll figure this out quickly enough, but there will be an adjustment to, to go from that. I'm creating a web page to I'm creating a piece of content that helps people accomplish this task or learn this thing. Um, and I need to structure it in a way that's going to make sense for both a, um, you know, to, even at the simplest, the, the most um, common uh, bifurcation point is like, this has to work if they're sitting at their desk looking at a, de a laptop, or if they're on the subway looking at their, their cell phone. Um, and so I think, you know, there's, that's been around long enough and I don't have a huge amount of direct experience with that. I, I, because I've been independent and not like deeply embedded in the enterprises where this is happening. Um, but I know that this is happening in places, but I also know that it's still a big problem getting people to sort that out. And, and, and so the, and the second thing about that is just that, you know, distinguishing the content itself from the uh, communication artifact that it's represented in at the end. Part of that 
meaning is that I think authors are going to have to become more facile with metadata of all kinds, mm. you know, whether it's like figuring out how to tag stuff, working with taxonomies, you know, um, maybe even with ontological stuff, like a lot of like Etsy and Amazon and eBay and places like that have uh, the authors there are concerned as much with um, uh, plugging products into product graphs you know, where you need to have some language around ontology practice, you know, sort of embedded. So, so I think becoming more facile with metadata and just understanding what metadata is and how it works and, and the way it works in these systems is once you've kind of, disarticulated things in this way, you need a way to reassemble them later. And metadata is what uh, both the structure and the meaning of the things in that structure are how you do that later on. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Metadata is extremely important. So give an example of, of metadata that is required, let's say in a headless CMS. So, so content has, um, uh, it's intelligent content, right? That we, that's a keyword that everybody uses, intelligent content. Metadata makes content intelligent. Give us an example of something like that. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a million kinds of examples. There's all these, first of all, there's different kinds of metadata. There's sort of administrative metadata about like, what is this? When was it created? Who was the author? All of that kind of stuff. And then there's sort of like... Um, uh, information about the content. Is this a picture? Is this text? Or, you know, that's might be more in formats than in the, the content itself. But then there's also, uh, and this is probably the most germane and relevant, is the, um, th like, typically, like, you'll assign, like, taxonomy, you'll assign categorical terms from a taxonomy, or tags from just some sort of um, less structured thing, or, or, attributes of of a thing that's in your content system like uh if it was, it was like a clothing database like sizes and colors and things like that so there's all these different kinds of metadata and i think in a lot of big enterprises this stuff is probably sorted out that there's probably still people writing the copy for this and then people attributing the the metadata to it but even in those situations i think the author's you know, the, it's in order for the content to make sense in its ultimate presentation, you want to be aware of which metadata might be associated with that thing that you're writing about. Does that make sense? Completely, completely. And I think that's one of the things that people coming from headless C or from uh, legacy CMSs uh, aren't used to, right? They just write the content and they don't worry about the, the description of it. And the reason we want to describe it through metadata is so other devices understands what they're dealing with, right? All devices, regardless of where it's going to be presented, um, including um, search engines, chatbots, and virtual reality machines, whatever, right? Machines, I don't want to call them machines, sounds so sci-fi. Um, but, but all those, right? I mean, we got to think about all that kind of stuff. So um, another important aspect of a headless is single source of truth. That's one of the important features. Let's talk about that. What does that mean? Yeah, that's another, I said something earlier, well, that's the most important thing. I'm like, no, wait, maybe this is the most important. There's a lot of important things. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of important aspects to this. But yeah, that, that idea of a single source of truth, it comes, that's, that term is used in a lot of places, like developers use it in one way. And, but, but content people use it. Um, I think it's most commonly used in like the technical documentation world where um, they'll have like a technical documentation manuals that you, you need to have the current information about how your product works and how to instruct people or help people in using it. Um, and so you, you, the, the, that's the basic idea of a single sort of truth, source of truth is whatever the domain you're operating in, whether that's like technical documentation or marketing information, you don't want to 
you know, mislead or misguide people with bad information there or just any kind of um, uh, content. It needs to be, you know, current, relevant, accurate, all those, all those things. And the, the need for a single source of truth comes out of the current situation of things being very siloed, either by departments in an organization or by marketing or by distribution channel. You get those two things. It's almost, you can almost picture this giant matrix of confusion um, where if you have like the marketing people saying one thing that the support people in their conversations saying another, you know, it gets, it gets bad really fast and you have a lot of things to fix. So operating from a single source of truth helps align everybody on, um, well, it's, 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 a, it's a manifestation of that alignment of agreement about what we're talking about, what we're going to say to our customers. Uh, that's, I think, the most important um, you know, manif reason for it. And the way it manifests is in, in a headless CMS is that instead of having like product features, like having like a marketing intern go in and read, you know, copy and paste what the features are um, into, you know, from the tech site, from the technical documentation site, you just have all that stored in one place. Here are the features of this product. And these are current because it's in this one place that we all work out of. And if you need to list product features, whether it's in documentation or in a marketing thing, or for a customer support person to sort out what to talk to the um, customer about. Um, operating from a single source of truth is way better than the, the old practices of, you know, clunky, you know, emails back and forth or cutting and pasting stuff out of spreadsheets. Um, that's the the benefits of a single source of truth is, is um, everybody literally being on the same page. Um, uh, yeah, no, and, and not to mention uh, maintenance, right? Because if a feature changes, then, and you were using that feature in a thousand places because you cut and pasted that feature into a thousand places, now it changed. Well, guess what? In the old legacy ones, you had to go into the thousand places to update it. With headless, because you have single source of truth, like you said, Larry, you go to that one location, update that one feature, and wherever it's being used, boom, right? Everybody has it. Exactly. Yeah. And the way you just said that, you said that better than I did, I think, in terms of like the how it happened in legacy systems versus now. But but yeah, it's it's super clear, I think, now at this point, what the benefits are of that. Um, now we just need to figure out how to do it. <laughs> well, and what I want to touch upon a point that you mentioned, which is really important because I work in the enterprise. And um, one of the issues is, right, the silo, what you said. Everybody is working, everybody's delivering, everybody needs to deliver something. And single source of truth is a fantastic idea. It's a great concept, but it's hard to implement sometimes, right? Because you have all these departments and all of these groups and everybody has to deliver something so they can't wait for the other one. So they go ahead and, and even duplicate that single source of truth in a, in, in a headless. So I think one important concept here is that you need to fix the organizational issue first, because otherwise you could set up a headless CMS the same way a legacy CMS was set up. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And that's something that I, I kind of lurk in a lot of the uh, developer forums on uh, for the various headless CMSs, the ones that have them. And um, it's like, there's a, just as authors bring their old thinking along, I think developers bring along some of their old thinking as well. Um, and yeah, so I, I agree that that's it. Um, but but I think to what you just said too, I think the biggest thing there is that this is this comes up all the time in the content strategy world. We're not really 
content people. We're therapists and organizational change agents. <laughs> you know? Agreed. No, 100% agree with you. I think that is, you, you just hit the nail there. Um, I mean, it's just, it's it. Yeah. Because part of your job or part of my job in the organization is always educating. Yep. Yeah. Hey, that said, there are some emerging or not emerging, but better developing technologies that I think can help, you know, I think a pragmatism is one of my foundational principles. Like, okay, I'm never going to bust silos. I just, I'm, I'm not giving up. I'll always be trying to bridge, uh, you know, communities and bring people together. But I think the reality is we're going to be, a lot of stuff's going to be happening in silos for a while. So this again gets back to like metadata. Like for example, back to that, remember the second layer, the the uh, the scope layer of, the, of Jesse James Garrett's model, the content modeling world. I think if people spent more time, like there's, what Jeff Eaton calls a title case content modeling. And then there's the, the lowercase content modeling, which is sort of the technical implementation. But that title case, case content modeling is concerned with a lot with aligning people around the language that you use. So I think that even if just aligning people around, what do we call this thing? What do we call that smallest unit in the thing, you know, like the designers might call it a button, the content strategists might call it a string, you know, whatever, just aligning around the language of how you're going to talk about this. That's the, that's the, just even, you know, talking to your colleagues about what you call things. That's a good step, but formalizing that in a taxonomy. And then maybe even there's a thing that's emerging, uh, the, the enterprise knowledge graph um, and other kinds of knowledge graphs that, that like the product graphs at, at the big e-commerce places, for example, there are sort of, I, I think of that as like super metadata, this sort of metadata layer that can lay on top of all those silos and reconnect them. And in those kind of systems, like even in taxonomies or, or in ontologies, you can, for example, link different terms. So there, there are technical ways to bust those silos, and there's some promising stuff happening in that world. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's 35 minutes. I, I don't know where time went, Larry. I mean, we've got a, we got about five <laughs> minutes left, and I have about five thousand questions left for you. So, we're I'm definitely not going to get to all of these, but that means that we're going to have to have you back for part two. Um, let me see. I'd let me let me pick a, a couple of these important ones that I want to make sure I cover today. Um, so we, we kind of we touched upon a lot of stuff. Um, you mentioned content modeling and content types before. Give us what is why is content modeling uh, and content types important? And headless where it didn't exist before. I mean, it did, but not where where the yeah. No, I think users I think we're just more- use it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're just more thoughtful about that now, you know, because one of the things that gets inflated in the old legacy systems is that content types and content formats can kind of get all mushed up together. Um, and that's that's sort of there's a whole this gets again gets back to language and, you know, content people are language nerds. We could just geek out about this stuff forever. But but sorting out and this kind of goes back to those uh, the new authoring challenges like what is the thing that you're writing? What is the intent of that? Um, and that's sort of a type. Is this a lesson, an instruction, uh, 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 an interview? You know, what type? That's sort of, that's a content type. The format that that can express in, like that how-to information could manifest in uh, a checklist on a on a web page or in pages in a mobile app that you navigate to or in instructions in a Google, uh, you know, an Alexa skill that somebody writes. And you could use the same content in all those if you author it correctly. Um, so I think that's, um, 
um, that being clear about what what that content is and how it might be presented, like the the, the content for different um, intents can manifest in different ways. And in old those old legacy systems, it's just like, oh, I'll just put it on a web page. It's like, right. no, there's a lot of other places you can use that now. So I think being clear about the distinction between content types and con- and and media formats uh, is going to become increasingly important. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, we're pretty much um, at the end. I, I do uh, want to ask you a couple, just two last questions, which is, um, your favorite thing about headless in general? Why? Why? If if there's one thing you have to pick that makes sense for headless, um, what is that thing? I just love that it's it's a it offers the potential to to let human beings focus on more important stuff. There's so much cutting and pasting and inclusion things together after the fact that if you can master content modeling and and creating um, versatile. Uh, you know, elegantly designed headless CMSs, you can be so much more creative, both on the authoring end and the design end. Uh, you can just free up people to do more interesting stuff. Excellent. Uh, content modeling, you, you, you're you preaching to the choir. I have that course. Exactly. I love content no, modeling. Yeah, I forgot who I'm talking to. Sorry. I love that <laughs> stuff. That stuff, I'm a total geek. Everybody knows that. Um, okay, so... As as much as we've been saying about legacy CMSs and how the future is headless, right? What is that one thing that you feel people are going to miss when going to a headless CMS versus a legacy CMS? Because not everything was bad about a, le- a legacy one, right? No, exactly. No, and those are a lot of those are really well designed designed applications, and mm-hmm. um, but they're you know back they're kind of like a different kind of siloing. You're siloed in the application rather than being out it limits how you can interact with your customer. But if you just want to deliver a nice web page to your customer, boy, WordPress can do a lot for you, you know? And so I think people will miss that. Um, it's kind of like, I'm, I am old enough to remember the the rise of desktop publishing and like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you can, anybody can create a nice looking publication and share it with their folks. Um, it's it's going to require more teamwork and collaboration. And I, t- I see that as a benefit of this, but I think for a lot of people to be like, no, nah, I just want to get this web page out there. Right. I think if you're if you're in a place that's completely decoupled, that that might be a little harder. But I think that'll get. But the other thing about that is, I think that'll get stitched back together. That that'll just be a temporary inconvenience. But people right. will miss the old CMSs in the meantime. I think that's um, it's great that you said that because I 100% agree with you on that. I think that WYSIWYG experience. Uh, because you only delivered it on the web, uh, they're going to miss now because you are abstracting your content more, right? So that way it can be delivered anywhere, but you're missing that presentation layer to see what is it going to look like. Now, having said that, there are uh, a bunch of the headless CMSs are now starting to introduce that kind of, you know, visual representation because they know many people need that, right? But I agree with you that that would be the thing that most like that I run into with authors is like, well, wait, I want to see it in bold and, and red. And, and, you know, I want to see the, the CSS right now, right here. And you're not going to see that right away. No, exactly. And I think the way you just said that made me think that um, I think there's going to be new opportunities for collaboration between like authors and designers. That yeah. Like as you develop these preview systems, that people will be like. Oh yeah, that's kind of what. Can I see how it would do? Anyhow, I, I, that's that's an exciting area as well. It's, and that's just more. It'll be some work up front. There's going to be a lot of development and design work up front. But boy, once you get that stuff figured out, uh, again, the creative creativity will really explode. 
Definitely. Larry, like I said, I literally seriously have a whole bunch of more questions for you, but we're out of time. I really want to thank you for being on the podcast today. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Um, people can see uh, your uh, email there, your 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 website, I'm sorry. Uh, but please say it for those of them uh, uh, listening on the pod, on the audio. Um, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, my website is just LS Media, E-L-L-E-S-S media.com. And I'm just Larry at lsmedia.com. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn are also good places to connect. Just Larry Swanson in both places. Yeah, if you type in Larry Swanson, you're the first one to come up on, on LinkedIn and everywhere else here. You're all over. So, Larry, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I know we'll Likewise. have you back. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I, yeah, let's let's keep the conversation going. Completely, totally. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Larry. I know I did. Larry's just a wealth of information. He's he. I always learn something uh, uh, with, when I when I talk to Larry. So, uh, Larry, thank you, thank you to all of you. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, remember to get your um, free account at headlesscreator.com so you can get the on-demand version of this. Also, you'll be able, as Larry said, content modeling is important. You can get my content modeling weekly course, which is 100% free there with uh, 41 lessons and many more coming. So uh, just stay tuned for that. And thanks for, and we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers, everybody.